One of the joys in my life was that the Lord enabled me to live and serve amongst Muslims in Central Asia. And one day I was driving in a taxi with someone who's called a mullah. A mullah is one of the leaders at a mosque. And we got talking, it was to the airport, it was a 45-minute drive, so we got talking all about God, who is God, and Judgment Day, and all the different characteristics of God. And then he said to me, you'd be such a good Muslim if you didn't believe in Jesus, if you just didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. Because we talked about Jesus and how for Muslims he's a great prophet. He's the second most important prophet, and you should always honor Jesus in Islam. But he said, if you just wouldn't believe that he's the son of God and that you think he died and rose again and that came down to who is Jesus, the Jesus question with Buddhists, with Muslims, with Hindus, it's very profitable to talk about God and creation and judgment. But in the end, it comes down to the Jesus question, who is Jesus? And so there are all kinds of opinions about what they think Jesus is and what we think Jesus is, but I found the best thing if I could get them to a place where I would say to them, why don't we let Jesus tell us who he is? Everybody thinks they know who Jesus is, but he actually told us who he is. If we look in his word, there are many times when he told us, I am, and he explained who he was. And so for me, it was always a breakthrough If I could get them, now often it took a relationship with him to open God's word in the book of John and read the I am statements in the book of John and build a case for Jesus based on his own words. And so that's what we did. And in many times it just took them to that extra level of considering who Christ was. So we know in in John, in, in chapter 20, verse 31, Uh, John writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. John is saying, I want you to know Jesus. He writes his gospel for us, and he uses the parables, he uses the miracles. He wants us to know who Jesus is. So if you're wondering how to share Christ, how to share the gospel with someone of another faith, use the gospel of John and use what Jesus says about himself. If you look, for example, uh, Jesus says, I am, I've asked them to put up a slide for you to see these examples of the I am statements. Yes, there they are. These speak so well in another culture. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, all right, I think Dr. Greenway would prefer the brisket of life, but because we're in Texas after all, but Jesus understood these other cultures. He said, I am the bread of life. In so many cultures, bread signifies God's provision. Where we lived, you could fill a table full of food, but if you didn't put bread, the table was not complete. Bread is significant of life. We uh, can really build on that with other cultures. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. I think about when we went to Madagascar. If you really want to see the Milky Way in all its glory, you need to go to a place where there's not much light. 
Where we were in southern Madagascar at night, when all the lights go out, there's no artificial illumination. Oh, it's, it's like you've never seen before. Just the sky lights up with the, with the stars of the night and God's creation. And when you say to people, Jesus is the light of the world, oh, they just connect with that. So much understanding what that is. He says, I'm the door of the sheep. He says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine. John 15 was a wonderful passage that I always keep in my back pocket. If you ever stuck, someone asks you suddenly, share a passage with us, or you forgot to prepare your Sunday school lesson and you're leading and you think, turn to John 15. It's an amazing passage on what it means to be a disciple and to abide in Christ. It's actually a really deep level of discipleship. If you get a chance to talk to your children or your family about what a disciple means, spend time in John 15. I am the vine. But this morning, I want to share one with you, and we're going to base our passage this morning on John chapter 11. And the I am statement we find in John chapter 11, verse 25. I believe the slide will come up with that as well, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Let's think of the context here. If you jump back to chapter 10, Jesus has to flee Jerusalem because he just made a radical statement in chapter thir verse 30 of chapter 10. He said, I and the Father are one. And they pick up stones to stone him. He's claiming unity, oneness, essence with God the Father. At times he says, I'm the shepherd and I'm the bread, and they wonder what he says. But as soon as he claims that essence statement, they want to kill him. So he, he has to flee Jerusalem. He goes nearby to the Jordan River, and others follow him out there. While he's there, he gets word that Mary, the one who anointed him with oil, that her brother Lazarus is sick, seriously sick. It's Jesus, you need to come now. And then he does an interesting thing. He waits for two days. He waits for two days. Then he goes to Bethany where Lazarus is, and at this point, Lazarus is dead. Uh, and for many of the people, there's no hope. So Martha comes along and meets Jesus, and uh, when she meets Jesus in the middle of her discourse with Jesus, we find verse 25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he does go on to raise Lazarus. So let's read that together. John 11 and we're going to start in verse 17. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 11, and we'll read from verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. 
Martha said, I know that he will rise again at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. That is the passage, the raising of Lazarus, in which Jesus makes this incredible I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Boy, this is a fantastic connection with the nations of the world. Buddhists and Hindus believe that you keep getting resurrected, right? They call it reincarnation. Yet you keep getting resurrected over and over again until hopefully you finally stop and you reach what you meant to reach. In Buddhism, it's nirvana. In Hinduism, it's being one with all the millions of gods. There's the hope of a continual resurrection. So think of the connection you can make with this I am statement with a Buddhist or a Hindu. You will go right to the very core of what they believe and you get to unpack what does it mean that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a great open door for a discussion with a Buddhist or a Muslim. So, uh, not a Buddhist or a Hindu. So think about that next time you meet someone who is a Buddhist or a Hindu. This is a great passage to have a discussion. But also with Muslims. Because Muslims are not sure. If you say to them, will you be resurrected one day? Their classic answer is, inshallah. Inshallah, if God wills. We don't know. How can we know? If God wills. I'm hoping so. I'm working for it. What a wonderful uh, truth to share with them, the resurrection and the life. So Jesus says here, yes, some really important principles from this verse. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's a clear, exclusive statement. There is no other resurrection or life. We live in a day of compromise. We live a day of tolerance and accommodation where people want to tell us, but there are many roads. God's like this father sitting on a mountain, and we all find our own way to him. Just, just accommodate, just tolerate. No. Only Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Only through him can you live even if you die. We have to stand very firm and sure on this. This is harder than you think. There are countries around the world that used to allow people in on religious visas that today will not let you in if you make this statement. Many countries in Europe, if you say, I am coming to declare that Jesus and Jesus only is the resurrection and the life, they will say, no, thank you. Uh, we don't want any disturbances here. Uh, we'd rather you go somewhere else. It's becoming very unpopular in the world today to make this statement. But we have to. We have to. He's the only one who is the resurrection and the life. We have to go. We have to declare it, no matter how unpopular it is. The word he say, uses here, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes, that's a very important word to unpack, believes. In the Greek, it's pisteuo, 
which, which relates to the word pistis we use for faith. What does that faith mean? So we're going to unpack that as we reference it in Romans, but I do first want to also try and understand this confusing statement, the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. Come on, how does that work? How do you live even though you die? So I had a great opportunity with this in Madagascar about, you know, we as a seminary adopted an unreached people group in the very south of Madagascar. The IMB said to us 12 years ago, they said to us, we don't have enough personnel or resources to reach everybody. Will you reach this tribe in southern Madagascar? So we said, we'll, we'll do it. So we would send two trips a year. I got to join later on. Uh, and so I've got to go six times now. It's a beautiful country. Uh, just, just very special people there. And God was preparing the hearts of these, this tribe called the Tandroi people. So we would just go out into the bush, find these villages, and we would just start talking, and they would say, tell us more. So when we went to them 12 years ago, there were no known believers, no known churches, no Bible in their language, nothing 12 years ago. Right now, there are 16 churches. 16 churches. And the IMB has now sent missionaries there. We're training leaders there in the churches. And it feels when you're there like the book of Acts because these are the very first generation of believers in that people group. So we were out in the bush training them, but we were based in a town. And every day we would come back to the town, to our hotel, and stay there. And so some people in the town heard that we as English speakers were there. And there was an English uh, program that taught people English uh, full-time through the day. But on a Friday afternoon, somebody who was a Christian in the town was leading a Bible study on a Friday afternoon. He heard we were in town. So he came to us and said, would you be free on Friday afternoon and would you help take this Bible study? So I said, sure, we'll do it. So four of our students and I uh, went to take the Bible study. And so I thought, okay, what, what could I share with them? What, these aren't Muslims. I know Muslims. What could I share with them? And I thought, I'm going to share this verse. We're going to do a Bible study on this verse and help them understand what seems like a paradox. You, you, you die, but you live. So we laid out uh, some principles about God. We talked generally about God, and we talked about Christ. And then I said, let's read this verse together. And I said, what does this mean? And so they asked. They were confused. I said, what do, you, what do you think? So one guy, his name is Bosco, he put up his hand and he said, maybe, maybe it's not physical. Maybe you don't die but then come to life physically. Maybe it means another kind of life that's not physical. I said, Bosco, you're onto something. Let's talk more about that. So I said, let me give you an example. I live two lives. I am, and at that stage, uh, not now, but at that stage, I said, I'm 52 and I'm 41. What? I'm 52 and I'm 41? How can that be? And so I shared my testimony. And I explained how I was born physically 52 years ago. But when, as an 11-year-old boy, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we laid it all out of, of what you do. I was born spiritually. So I stand before you at 52 and 41. 
And then I got one of our students, uh, a girl called Ashley, who now serves on the field. So what about you, Ashley? And she shared her two ages. And then I said, so Bosco, what about you? He said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm 19, but I don't think I have a spiritual life. And I said, okay, so would you like to have a spiritual life? He said, yes, I would. I want to have a spiritual life. So we turn to Romans 10 to understand this word pisteo, what it means to believe. And in Romans 10, and I think we have it on the slide, we used Romans 10, 8 and 9. I said to him, Bosco, this is what it means to have that spiritual life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You believe with your heart, resulting in righteousness, and confess with your mouth resulting in salvation. So I said, Bosco, we've talked about this. You know your heart, and the Holy Spirit knows your heart. Will you tell me that deep in your heart, with all your being, you believe that Jesus died and rose again for your sins? Bosco said, I do. I do. I said, you know, Bosco, one of the ways you can just declare with your mouth is just pray a prayer saying that. How about we just pray a prayer right now and just declare what's in your heart? I said, if you like, I'll help lead you. So he said, okay. So right there in the class, we prayed, and Bosco prayed. And he said, amen. And I said, all right, Bosco, you are 19 and one minute. So the guy next to him said, I also don't know if I have a spiritual life. I said, you want to be sure? He said, yes. So then a really cool thing happened. Bosco says, he's my friend. Can I pray with him? I said, of course you can. It's about what God's doing is in his heart. I said, do you think you remember how to pray? And Bosco said, I think I remembered what I prayed. So he prays immediately with this guy to accept Christ. So we're just, oh, this is incredible. And then a guy in the back of the room puts up his hand and he says, I wasn't sure if I had spiritual life, so I prayed while they prayed as well. And there we stood, three brand new believers in Christ. And then it was so amazing because... God has sent two hands-on students. Now, hands-on uh, is this wonderful program that IMB has where you can take a semester out of your studies and go and serve with IMB on the field. There were two hands-on students there who were walking around praying, asking God to show them what to do. They only had five months. They couldn't learn enough language in that time. And they were praying, Lord, give us some door to help with your kingdom. We met them and we were immediately able to give Bosco and his two friends to introduce them because they speak, speak English. We said, you can disciple. So these two hands-on students were immediately able to pick up that relationship and begin discipling. And so Bosco immediately understood this is um, what had happened. And so we were so excited to see how God had used that and it opened their door to understand what does this mean? In fact, what we know Jesus meant when he talked to Nicodemus. Do you remember when he talked to Nicodemus? And he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus immediately thinks, like a Hindu or a Buddhist, right? Oh, I've got to go back in my mother's stomach and physically born again. And Jesus said, it explains to him and helps Nicodemus to see, no, it's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual one. You begin a spiritual life 
with Christ. It's that same passage in John 3 where Jesus unpacks with Nicodemus, what does it mean to be born again? Well, it says here, again, that same word pusteo in Romans 10, to believe. We, we I think, hold that word too lightly. I, I kind of think of it maybe like what we think about football. Who believes the Cowboys will make the playoff? Who believes they'll win the Super Bowl? Oh, okay. So if I ask you to put $1,000 on that, your belief is a little different, isn't it? That's not this belief. You know, I think the best example I can think of of this kind of belief is when I got married. When I got married and I stood at the altar with my wife and we made those vows, and I was saying, Sandra, I believe that you are to be my wife for the rest of my life. I believe you are the one. You are the one I'm committing to for the rest of my life. I was all in. I was all in. When I said to her, when I, I believe you're the one for me, every part of me embraced that. And I was saying until God, till death parts us, till I cannot breathe anymore, you are the one for me. I am all in on my marriage to you. That helps me better think about what this belief is in. That's what I saw in Bosco. So the, the cool thing is, the next year I go back, there's Bosco. He's one year older as a, as a believer, but he is sharing the gospel. He puts a backpack on his back with Bibles, and he just walks to the villages, and he begins to read the Bible with them and share his life. He's all in. He's transformed. He begins studying the, uh, online through, with a Christian university to help prepare him better. He begins working with our IMB missionaries. And it becomes one of the key leaders we have there for what God is doing. In fact, three years after that, when I go back, the same English club says to me, they hear I'm in town again, they say, hey, will you come back and teach again? I say, all right, Bosco, you got to go with me. And I said, hey, Bosco, remember three years ago that passage? Let's use the same passage, only this time I'll just introduce it and you teach it. And so he goes, and we do that. This was a much bigger group, 56 of them. So we share, and there's always a danger on the mission field that when the American or the Westerner is there, that people will do whatever you say. So I share a little bit my story of my two lives. Bosco shares his, and then we say, who would like to have two lives? Who would like to be born spiritually? Out of 56 people, maybe 40 raise their hands. So Bosco looks at me, he says... I think I need to talk to them. He said, because these three years have been challenging. Our culture that I live in, the, the, the life I've had to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ has been challenging. They don't understand what it means to follow Jesus. They don't understand the cost. He said, I think I need to tell them what it's been for me these three years. So I said to him, Bosco, you do just that. I said, don't even translate it. You use, use their tongue speak in their language, I'll just stand on the side. And for about 20 minutes, he began to unpack what it truly means to follow Jesus as a disciple. And then after that, he said to them, so how many of you want to have this second life, this spiritual? Who of you now believe? 14 raised their hands. 
He led them in a salvation prayer, and then he took all their details down, if they had a cell phone, their number, or their address, and he said to them, we are going to start studying the Bible next week. You meet with me next week. We're going to start learning about what it means now to know Jesus. Oh, it was so encouraging. I was just so, so excited because as a missionary, you dream for the faithful men that you can pass on to. You actually go in to go out if you do, if you do your job right. And so Bosco has been carrying on growing. People keep getting saved. They're starting more churches. They are now at that crucial place where they need to start a Bible school. So one of the guys who was here before, Mamtina, many of you remember Mamtina, He's there now helping launch a Bible school, and Bosco has been identified as a future faculty, as a future teacher. And so, if God continues to open the doors, Bosco will begin here in January. You will get to meet him in January. He's still got a couple of hurdles because right now the U.S. Embassy is not giving visas to anybody in Madagascar. And so he has to apply for what's called an emergency visa because he's wanting to study. So that you pray for him. He's the only thing he's waiting for. His passport's ready. He has plane tickets. He has everything. He just needs that visa interview to be able to start here in January. Our goal is to train him and let him back so that he'll find more Boscos and more people. And this people who 12 years ago were unengaged, unreached with the gospel. We'll see churches growing and a Bible school started. It's so beautiful. I think they're going to write a case study on what God is doing in there for understanding how the gospel penetrates and grows. And it all in Bosco's case came down to this beautiful understanding that Jesus is his resurrection and his life. And that now, even though he will die physically, nevertheless, he lives. It's that beautiful picture of what we have when Christ saves us, of what it means to be a Christian. So sometimes for us, the hardest thing in witnessing is how to begin. How do we start that witnessing conversation, especially sometimes with family, right? We're all about to go into a Thanksgiving and a Christmas season with family and friends, and, and you know there's that uncle or that aunt or that brother or that sister or that son or daughter that you... you, you you want to have a conversation, but you don't want it to be too awkward or whatever. This is just a great way to start. Go to your uncle and say, Uncle George, this may sound interesting to you, but have I ever told you I have two lives? What? Yeah, Uncle George, now I'd have to update it. I am 57 and 46. And begin that conversation. Actually, it's one of the ways we can address what's often a tragedy with what we call MKs or PKs, missionary kids or preacher's kids. We have often this tragedy where we just assume that they know who Christ is. We don't intentionally talk to them to make sure that they know who Christ is. So it's a great conversation to have with your children or your grandchildren, to say to them, if I say to my, my granddaughter, Primrose, Primrose, Have I ever told you I have two lives? Have I ever told you I'm 57 and 46? And then to say, what about you, Primrose? How old are you? Do you have a second life? And explain that only through Jesus 
you can find true resurrection and life. All of us are looking for ways to be able to begin that conversation. This is a great way to begin that conversation. Just say. I mean, it's kind of surprising. Whenever I try this, people always, they look at me a little bit, and they're like, what? This, you're trying to trick me, aren't you? And I say, no, 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 give me, let, let, let me, give me a chance to, sh to share with you. Why is it that I'm 57 and 46? And I go right to this passage, because Jesus is my resurrection and my life. He's the reason that I'm also 46. So it's a really good opportunity to share. But my real heart is for the world. There are people around the world. They can't have two lives. They don't know about Jesus. Bosco's tribe was unreached. Unreached. They believed in a God of creation. They believed in a spirit world all around them. They went to the witch doctor when they had need. They, they had a concept of God, but zero knowledge about Jesus. And without the Jesus question, they cannot have resurrection and life. They cannot have eternal life. The IMB's research department tells us that there are still over 7,000 unreached people groups. Over 7,000 unreached people groups. People for whom there's no possibility of knowing that there's a second life that I need to be born spiritually. Man, who's going to tell them? Who is going to tell them? We've got to go. Some of us, yes, on short-term trips like with Bosco, but we need some of us to put our lives in those places. You've got to do the hard thing. You've got to be sent as the Father sent Jesus, leaving his heaven and coming down and living amongst us. We've got to do that. We've got to do that. They'll never know. They'll never have Bosco's experience if we don't change that. It's unacceptable that 2,000 years after Jesus told us to go and make disciples of the nations, to tell them the story that they're still unreached people groups. 2,000 years we've had to do this, and there are still 7,000 unreached people groups. That is totally unacceptable. So, I'll share with you what I share with the introduction to missions class. I know God has called us to various roles, and in order to send missionaries, we need strong churches back home. I know that. But every one of us has to settle the yes question in our lives, which I believe is the Lordship question, to say, Lord, if and when you call, yes. Yes, you've got my yes. I may stay. I may stay and build a church here so it can share, it can send missionaries. Maybe my job is to stay. Right now, that's God's calling on my life right now as a professor is to stay and prepare. But in my heart, I better still settle the yes question. If and when you call, I will go. It's taken care of, God. Uh, that's not a debate anymore in my life. You have all authority over my life. So when you say go, I'm going. I think if you settle that, then for some of us, 
I'm convinced today, watching or in this room, we'll begin to move, we'll begin to go, and the rest of us will support you, and we'll go find the Boscos of the world who will discover that Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life. Now, the final thing I wanna say is, I got a shock when I was at seminary in the 90s. I was at Southeastern. I was in an evangelism class, and the professor was unpacking the gospel, and how can I stand? And suddenly, one of the students in the class, he said, I think I finally understand it. I, you know what? I don't think I'm saved. So right there in our contemporary evangelism class, the students get saved. He's at seminary. He came, even wrote in his application that he was a Christian. But he didn't truly get it until God showed him that day in class. So that could be true here today or somebody watching online. If you were honest, if you really think to yourself, you'd say, I don't have two lives. I can't say when I was born spiritually. If that's you, learn from Bosco today. Settle that today. Any of our professors, we would love to talk to you about that. We would love to help you understand that. Any of the students who truly know Jesus as their Lord and Savior would love to do that. Do not let today go by if you are not sure that you have a spiritual life. Make sure of that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and this incredible promise that you are our resurrection and our life. And that even if we die, we live. Father, if anyone here today does not believe that, would you by your spirit speak to them, quicken them, Father, to make that decision. And Father, please, 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 make us obedient to reach the nations. Father, raise up more of our students. If any of us, even faculty or staff, Father, whoever you are calling, make us obedient to take this amazing story to the nations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.